The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. This is Bear Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as The Tom Sumner Program. And uh, this is another one of those times where I had a, a really fun interview planned for this hour. I mentioned it earlier. It was uh, in my Facebook post as well with uh, a rising star actress, Olga Petza, who is going to be performing in, uh, well, she's going to be appearing in a uh, new Netflix coming-of-age film that's scheduled to uh, uh, be released uh, in December. And uh, anyway, for some reason, I wasn't able to connect with her in Vancouver. So instead... Um, we'll we'll track it up to being a, a lost city. Um, I did, however, have a great chat with uh, Ann Williams just recently. She is a uh, professor of ancient Egypt uh, art and architecture, and she's written a new book, uh, teamed up with National Geographic. And uh, the book is called Lost Cities and Ancient Tombs. And... Uh, Anyway, we'll have uh, my conversation with her since it hasn't aired yet, and I'll try to reschedule with um, with Olga Petza at some time in the near future. In the meantime, um, I hope you enjoy this conversation, uh, and and's a lot of fun. <laughs> And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is uh, the General Editor. I think that's the first time I've seen that title, General Editor for National (laughs) Geographic for a new tome about tombs. It's uh, actually called Lost Cities, Ancient Tombs, 100 Discoveries that Changed the World, and uh, I'm joined on the phone by, as I said, the... uh, General Editor Ann Williams. Hi, Ann. Welcome to the show. Uh, hi, Tom. Uh, thank you for having me. 
You know, I am a little curious about the uh, about the title, Lost Cities, Ancient Tombs. That's all well and good, but 100 Discoveries That Changed the World. How do discoveries of these ancient tombs and, and even dinosaurs and other relics, uh, how does that change the world? Well, it changes what we know about history. Um, Time and time again, there are chapters in this book where archaeologists have made a discovery that is just history writing. Um, uh, They were rewriting history. Um, There is one um, site, just for instance, it's called El Cano. Um, It's about an hour and a half drive west of Panama City. It's a pre-Columbian site. The lead archaeologist is a woman named Julia Mayo, um, and she thought, after reading Spanish chronicles and doing geomagnetic surveys, that, you know, she might be able to find a, an, an ancient pre-Columbian burial ground, and she dug down 16 feet, um, and indeed, she found um, chieftains covered in gold. I mean, the whole bling thing. Pectorals, armbands, um, belts with gold beads as big as olives. I mean, it was just spectacular. But here's the thing. Here's why it's history-making. For decades and generations, experts thought that there really was not much between the Maya in the north, who built beautiful stone pyramids, and the Inca in South America, who who were themselves great stonemasons. And because the experts thought that there wasn't anything much in between, they didn't look. And what Julia Maya's site and other sites like that are telling us is that just because your civilization was based on a material culture that was biodegradable, that does not mean that your civilization was not sophisticated, and it doesn't mean that there aren't whole bunches of sites dotting that particular rainforest that stretches from, um, you know, right through Central America down into South America. Um, so it, it really, these sites really are revolutionary. It, it's making us think about whole parts of the globe in a very, very different way. Um, so that, that's just one way in which, you know, they really are changing the world as we, as we understand it. I'm curious about how how these things are found. You make it sound like she was looking for something and found more than she expected to. But how many times are are these discoveries made by accident, and and how often is it somebody has read something in an ancient text and based on some landmark that in in a eureka moment decides they're going to go looking for this this city that was referred to or uh, burial ground or whatever. Well, yeah, sometimes it's a combination of those things. Um, you know, England, for instance, has a thing called the... Well, so they manage their archaeology really wonderfully. They have a thing called the Portable Antiquities Scheme. And they have a lot of people who go out as amateurs 
um, doing metal detecting. Now, if you're a metal detectorist and you find something and it looks old, you have to let the local archaeologists know. Um, and then they come in and they assess the find. Then usually it's not much. Um, but if it turns out to be pretty spectacular and worth an excavation, archaeologists get involved. And then whatever is excavated um, is offered to museums. If the British Museum picks it up, you know, yay, there's a lot of money involved. Um, and whatever the artifacts bring in terms of, you know, what, whatever a museum is willing to pay for it, or if it goes on, if no museums want it, it's just sold. And then the landowner and the metal detectorists split that pot of money. And so it's a really great um, way to, um, to make sure that people, that ordinary citizen scientists have fun finding things, but they do the right thing when they find them and they, the, the, um, the sites then are investigated properly um, in terms of archaeological science. Um, so, you know, people, people do find stuff um, through metal detecting all the time. Um, you know, so that's one way that things are found by accident. Um, people do, experts do go through ancient texts, and, you know, that was the case of Julia Mayo. She read through the Chronicles of the Conquistadors, and they were talking about um, people who were indigenous to Panama, who lived there, described how they lived and what their customs were. And Julia just thought, now, you know, the conquistadors were there in, what, the 1500s, 1600s. But she thought um, that, you know, perhaps those traditions stretched back further um, in history, and in fact, the cemetery that she found, I think, was from, uh, it had various dates, but it went back to about 8900. Um, the, the traditions had continued to the Spanish time, but it was because she was conversant with all of the Spanish chronicles that she was able to put, you know, two and three together and come up with five. When we find uh, things like the Lost Temple of the Monkey God. As, as I'm looking through the, the book, Lost Cities, Ancient Tombs from National Geographic, and, and, and these, these big places are found not so very far underground. The more we find those things, is it, is it, have we built an entire world on top of a world that already existed? Well, uh, yes, in many cases, um, you have um, you have many cases of cities. For instance, Alexandria, Virginia, uh, Alexandria in Egypt, um, that was founded by Alexander the Great around about 332 BC, and you know when you go to Alexandria today, it's just full of um, of hotels and high rises. The 
bay is spectacular. So, of course, everybody wants a water view, and there are a lot of, you know, hotels that line the Corniche now. Um, but underneath all of that, um, there are ancient ruins. I was just um, talking to somebody the other day or emailing somebody the other day about um, discovery. Um, um, an archaeologist was digging in a park in Alexandria, Egypt, and has come down to um, that classical layer of the city. You know, most of the time you can't dig through because there are houses and businesses and hotels built on top. But in this one place in the park, they were able to do that. Um, but it happens all over the world. Um, you know, you have, you have modern stuff. You have layers of stuff built on top of old and older and ancient sites. I mean, you know, archaeology, archaeology is like a layer cake. You know those um, Smith Island cakes with all those layers yeah. and the chocolate icing in between? Yeah. Well, archaeology, archaeology, archaeological sites can be like that. <laughs> you have all those layers and you have to, you know, you're trained as an archaeologist to dig down through and read those layers of the layer cake as you're going back down through them. More about Lost City. I remember the night Mom was pounding on her drums. She called me to her side. She said, son, you're growing up. Pretty soon you're gonna drive. And Daddy heard the commotion and came, came in tap dancing, playing his six string. And they both looked at me and they said, son, before you get behind the wheel of a car, you listen to me. If you're texting while you steer, don't drive. If you've been drinking beer, don't drive. If you're talking on the phone, don't drive. If your tires are bald and it's starting to snow, don't drive. If your foot can't reach the pedal, if you're wearing no apparel Don't try If you took an illegal prescription Don't try And no one understands your diction Don't try Don't speed, don't read, don't read, don't tweet Don't shave, don't rave, don't wave, don't eat And don't put no makeup on or shave You know you're not supposed to do that If you've got to do something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and step on my blue suede shoes Ah, go ahead and scuff them up. If you're driving with your knees, don't drive. If while you roll, you eat, don't drive. If you don't know how to drive, don't drive. If you've been psychedelicized, don't drive. If you're kissing on your boo, don't drive. If the boo's kissing on you, don't drive. If you've been drinking at a bar, don't drive. If there's guns in the car. through your purse. Ugh. Don't do that. Huh. If you won't do something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and talk on my food, man, chew. Go ahead, I don't care. Watch me tear. Hmm. If 
if you feel like a nap. Don't try If there's a pooch on your lap. Oh, it's dangerous and creepy. If you're feeling really wired. If your license is expired. Don't you drive around the Something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and step on my bluesway shoes Scuff them up Then go ahead and pull on my Fu Manchu yeah. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime Or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive And you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous Well here's what you can do you can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Hello. Speaking. Oh dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. 
Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about lost cities and ancient tombs from National Geographic with Ann Williams. Straight ahead. How much can we tell from the the bodies we find and the artifacts that, that turn up in various digs around the world? Well, um, we have uh, th- this book, Lost Cities, Ancient Tombs, has a, a chapter at the back that is a list, a uh, short list, of some of the technologies that are revolutionizing our ability to, A, discover sites, and B, extract information from artifacts once we do. Um, and so as technology develops, we are able to more and more, find more and more things. Um, we are able to extract more and more information out of the ground without even wielding a shovel, which is very exciting in archaeology. It's sort of the new frontier um, because, of course, archaeology is destruction. You dig something and then you've destroyed, you know, the evidence and you have to hope that, you know, whoever's doing the digging is a great note-taker. Um, but... Um, is Egypt uh, ground zero for archaeology? I know most of us, just regular people who don't know about these things, just kind of have this impression that that the the Great Pyramids, for example, are sort of the tip of a, of a whole world of ancient civilization waiting to be discovered and that it's all centered in that part of the world. Well, that, that, that archaeologists in Egypt always say that you stick a shovel in the sand and you turn up something. I mean, there's still a lot to be discovered there. Um, and, and some of the, you know, really great mysteries of archaeology. I mean, who knows where Queen Nefertiti was buried? Every time something is discovered in the Valley of the Kings, the whispers start, you know, is it the Queen? Um, where was Cleopatra buried? Where was Mark Antony buried? I mean, you know, we don't know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are things that, you know, can come to light, and there are people who are convinced that um, the Valley of the Kings is not played out, that there could be discoveries made there. Um, and so, yeah, the, the thing about ancient Egypt is, you know, it went on for three thousand years. Um, And so you have, yeah. Um, And, you know, the the more you learn about it, the more you want to learn, because we we know the names of kings, and we know their wives, and we know the names of their children, and we know some of the names of their officials, and we know what they ate for breakfast, and we know what they wore, and then we know, um, you know, we think we know 
something about their aspirations for an afterlife. Um, and so um, we, um, so the, the, the more you know, and the more you start to build this sort of, you know, multi-dimensional puzzle. It's a puzzle that goes through time. It's a puzzle that goes through generations of families. It's a puzzle that goes through the landscape from Alexandria in the north all the way down to Abu Simbel and beyond in the south. Um, and, you know, so it's just a great... Um, it's a great, wonderful puzzle, and um, you know. And once you get hooked in learning um, about that, um, you know, it, it is just um, endlessly fascinating. You probably read in my bio that I spent some of the summer. Well, so I'm writing as we speak another book. It's on ancient Egypt, so that is a great pleasure. Um, but in addition to doing that, I also spent um, some weeks in scribal school. Um, there's this wonderful um, Egyptologist named Melinda Nelsonhurst at Tulane in New Orleans, and she conducted a school for those of us who wanted to learn how to read and write ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs this summer. Um, and oh, so wow. now, you know, my, my reading skills are primitive, um, but I am able to read things, and it is so exciting. Um, so that's just one of the things that I have done on my own personal um, journey in Egyptology. But everybody, you know, some people get into the Maya, and some people get into the Indus Valley civilization, and some people are fascinated with the terracotta warriors in China, and some people are into, you know, medieval discoveries in England. I mean, you know, everybody has their thing, um, but it is just fascinating um, to learn about all of these things through the science of archaeology. Well, I've always been fascinated by how archaeologists, and I wonder if, if, if the field is getting better through experience and the information that's been found so far building on itself and the new technology, how archaeologists are able to you know, go into a dig and, and dig up a handful, not a handful, but a small crate full of tools and and bowls and and dishes and things, and and then all of a sudden uh, an artist's rendering emerges of of a small village and how people there might have lived, and I'm always fascinated by that. How how good are we getting at drawing uh, conclusions and information about the people whose artifacts we're finding? Well, the, the more you know, um, the better you are at interpreting the site. Um, so, for instance, the more pottery that you dig up, um, you dig up pottery and then you sort it. You know, what kind of pottery is it? Is it a lipshirt? Uh, you know, is it a bowl? Is it a plate? Is it a beer jar? Um, you know, and then you run the how many plates could we find? How many beer jars did we find? Did, did we find a you know, mountain of beer jars? Were these people, you know, pretty happy during the day drinking their beer? Um, and, um, and, and so the more of the kinds of artifacts you collect, 
um, about a certain site or from a certain culture, you know, the more you can interpret it. There's a wonderful museum in London, and I have never been to it, but the next time I go, I must see it. It is called the Petrie Museum, and it's right around the corner um, from the British Museum. So it really gets overlooked by you know, this great um, public institution that we all know and love. But the beauty of the Petrie Museum was that it was started with many of the artifacts that um, a very famous archaeologist named um, W. Flinders Petrie brought back to England. And Petrie was one of those early, very meticulous scientists who understood that in order to understand beer jars, you can't just look at one of them. You have to look at 10,976 of them. And so he collected <laughs> as many of these things as he could. And the Petrie Museum, it's like a type museum. So you want to know what um, kind of ceramic um, cookware the ancient Egyptians used to bake their bread? Well, you know, then you need to look at 159 of them. Um, and so the Petrie Museum has types of all different things. So you can see all the different variations. And that's how Egypt, that's how archaeologists are trained. They're tra they, it's not only learning about the history, you train your eye so that a, a pot shirt comes up at a dig and you look at it and you say, oh yes, this has to be an X. Um, so yeah, the, the more we know, the better interpreters we are of the past. I learned something about American history from this book that I, I had never even thought about or, or heard anything about, and that's about this ancient city um, in, is it near St. Louis? Um, oh, the Cahokia Mounds. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I, I've always thought about indigenous peoples on this continent as living in villages, it never occurred to me that cities evolved. Yeah, I mean, you know, th those mounds are very mysterious, and they really, I, d I don't think they've been studied extensively, um, or as extensively as some, you know, very famous sites, for instance. But they are intriguing, and, you know, one does have to wonder um, how people back then were living, and, you know, clearly um, there were a lot of them, and it took a lot of time and energy and work to build those enormous mounds, and, you know, why did they do that? Um, but clearly their civilization must have been very sophisticated and um, and very, you know, self-sufficient. I mean, you have to think about the fact that in order to get to the point where you can get everybody together to build something like that, that really, you know, does not have to do with actually feeding people on any given day, you know, you have to have enormous food security. Um, you know, you have to have enough food, um, whether it's hunting or gathering or growing crops or fishing or a combination of all of the above. You have to be able to be getting um, significant amounts of food um, and still have surplus time and energy among your population to build 
um, something like those mounds. Um, and yeah, that that is extraordinary. And um, you know, I mean, you you have to wonder, um, and and you know, you have to hope that at some point somebody will go back to those bounds and you know do some more studying to to tell us more about what was going on back then. Well, it it makes me wonder um, a, a couple of things. Is is just about history of indigenous people on this continent. But I'm wondering why there isn't more exploration. Every once in a while, we'll hear about somebody digging up a dinosaur tooth or something, you know, on the back 40 at a farm in Iowa or something. But there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, exploration or or, uh, search for um, ancient artifacts in North America. And why is that? Because we're finding in places all over the globe, there are all these wonderful things just tucked away that that just got buried by time. Um, Why isn't there more exploration in North America? Well, gosh, I don't know. I, that is not my area of expertise. I'm not I trying to. Put, yeah, I don't want to put you on the spot. Yeah, no, no, I, no. It's but just I, curious I think, to me. You know, I, I can I can speculate that you know, first of all, archaeological digs are very expensive, um, and you have to get somebody to sponsor your dig. So, so that is a barrier. Um, and secondly, you know, when you're going into archaeology, I mean, you know, lots of us you know, get fascinated with other places. Is that a chicken um, and the right, egg thing? I, you you have to almost go out and, and dig and find something and then go get a sponsor? Or, um, or, or can you use technology to suggest that there's gold there? Well, um, yes. And so uh, to circle back to what you and I were talking about before, this um, list of technologies at the end of Lost Cities Ancient Tombs, um, you know, I, I think a lot of those technologies are going to be used by archaeologists. Well, they are being used by archaeologists now, but will increasingly be used by archaeologists in the future um, to identify places that are likely candidates for an excavation. Um, And when you're digging, you know, time is money. Um, You have maybe two weeks and a certain set of of amount of money, and, um, you know, you have to be a very good manager of time, very good manager of money. If you can use these technologies to sort of zoom into the place that you're particularly interested in investigating, I mean, you know, that would be a great help. There are also technologies that are starting to be used um, that allow people to extract information out of the ground without lifting a shovel. And that is sort of the new, the absolutely new frontier of archaeology, that archaeology, after all, is destruction. When you dig, you are destroying. um, doing away with the evidence. And, you know, you have to hope that the archaeologist doing the digging is a good note-taker, right? Because if you're not, oh, my goodness, so many things get lost. Um, but, um, yeah, so uh, a lot of these technologies are going to, um, I think, open up 
entire new perspectives in archaeology in the future, including, um, but not limited to, perhaps, on the western part of the United States. Um, you know, they there could very well be um, some very cool things out there waiting just to be discovered. And and there's the the open land. You know, it's just I'm, I'm I'm just surprised there isn't more. Every time something like this turns up, I think, oh, we should maybe we should be looking more uh, on this continent. But um, I'm a a lover of of history, and I'm always fascinated when I look at it ancient history. Although I my interests tend to be a little more contemporary, but how did you get the bug for ancient history? <laughs> well, I was in, I went to college as an English major, and I hated the English department, sad <laughs> to say. Oh, yeah. But I took, when I was a freshman, I took a class in archaeology just to fulfill a history requirement. And I thought it was really interesting. I had never heard of Mesopotamia before, um, and so I took more classes, and, you know, before I knew it, I was majoring in archaeology. I went on and I got my master's, um, and then I was able to sort of circle back to my original idea and, you know, became a writer and a journalist and, you know, very fortunately had a long career at National Geographic magazine that just put me in contact with all sorts of excavations and discoveries that were happening all over the world. Um, so, so that one, you know, um, hands on my hips, shaking my head, saying I don't like the English department, really led me in um, in a really great direction. I think. <laughs> well, this is is fascinating, and and it's so nice for you to spend this time with me and talk about this new book from National Geographic, Lost Cities, Ancient Tombs, 100 Discoveries That Changed the World, and I hope you'll come back and talk about your Egypt book (laughs) when you get that done. Um, I hope you'll have me. Oh, I would love to. I would love to, and and I I just want to ask a couple of things very quickly. One, um, is uh, where people can find out more about what we're talking about. Obviously, the book is a great place to dig in and, and really get lost in. But um, is is there a, a website where people can find out about some of the stuff that's going on at National Geographic, but also in some of these digs around the world? Well, here's the thing, uh, the, the wonderful thing. Many excavations have their own website. Um, these days. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, you know, just Google a site and see if it pops up. Um, you know, that's one thing. Um, social media is another great place. I happen to play in Facebook because that's a platform that I'm familiar with. Um, I am president of the D.C. chapter of the American Research Center in Egypt. I manage their Facebook page. I am every day sharing news about ancient Egypt there. Oh, cool. Um, so if you're interested in that, that's a great place to go. Um, Sarah Parkak, who is a wonderful, smart archaeologist um, who does um, satellite uh, archaeology, 
Um, she um, she has a very active Twitter feed. Um, there are lots of people who play in social media um, who push out news all the time about um, about well any kind of archaeology you'd be interested in. You know, it's just a question of doing a Google search and finding a a community on a platform that you're comfortable with. And one one last thing, and. There are a hundred discoveries in this book, Lost Cities, Ancient Tombs. Did you form a, a top ten in your own mind, or, or do you have a favorite discovery from the book? <laughs> My favorite discovery is the Tomb of King Tut for many, many, many reasons. Um, I also love the site of Copan in Honduras, the Maya site of Copan. I think that's huge. I love the, um, I love the terracotta warriors. And, you know, it's not only the terracotta warriors, there's a whole funerary complex that that Chinese emperor built around his tomb in China. And the information we're getting from archaeologists in China about that site is just really extraordinary. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, th- those are just a few that come to the top of my mind. Well, and and even more than I was hoping for. That's wonderful. And thanks so much. And I usually tell people to keep up the good work, but with you I think I'll just say keep digging. thank you tom you've been fun um it's been great and thank you so much for having me take care okay bye-bye now that was uh ann williams general editor of a new book from national geographic called lost cities ancient tombs 100 discoveries that changed the world we'll have more of the tom sumner program Straight ahead. Now, when a virus comes along that's spreading like a plague, and POTUS and his lackeys have been nothing if not vague, well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well, unless you want to bid our free society farewell. There is... A super bad transmittable contagious awful virus And if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July A super bad transmittable contagious awful virus And if you got a better cough in your arm And if you got a better (coughs) Now back in 1918 influenza had its run But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I Today we have mass media and scientists to say If you don't want this virus well then stay six feet away Super damn important that we practice isolation Cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation It's super damn important that we practice isolation if we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. A super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful, awful. 
Sumner.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com. From the Tom Sumner Show. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. 
American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. tonight to join in with us and sing along with our new album Sing Along with Smothers. <laughs> similar, to. Similar, to, similar to the album on Columbia Records. This is Mercury Records, but similar to the, the record on Columbia made by Mitch Miller. Sing Along with Bitch. <laughs> Mitch. Oh, we are marching to Pretoria, Pretoria, Pretoria. Oh, we are marching to Pretoria, Pretoria today. Hey, we are marching to Pretoria, Pretoria, Pretoria. Oh, we are marching to Pretoria, Pretoria today. Brother Dickie Smothers, we'll sing with me and I'll sing with you. And we will sing together, and we will dance together, and we will sing together. Well, sing with me, and I'll sing with you. We will dance and sing together as we march, as we march along. Oh, we are marching to Pretoria, Pretoria, Pretoria. Oh, we are marching to Pretoria, Pretoria today. Brother Tom. I'd like to clarify this just a little bit before we go any further. This is not Peoria, and a lot of you probably thought that we started out that this was Peoria, and it's not Peoria. A lot of people thought that there was Peoria, probably. Yes. Uh, probably thought that, maybe. This is, see, all the marching songs are done in foreign countries, and all the marching songs are done in foreign countries, and Peoria is not in a foreign country. It's the capital city of Nebraska. All the marching songs are done in foreign countries, like the March of River Kwai was a marching song from a foreign country, sold over 7 million records here in the United States. 
It sold over 7 million records here in the United States, and it hit parade for 35 weeks. And it was Marshall River Quiet from the movie, The Marshall River Quiet. You remember, Marshall River Quiet. It sold over 7 million records, and not once during this entire time is the number one song in the United States of America for 35 weeks, The Marshall River Quiet, not once did they sing the words to it. No words? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. They whistled the words, they just whistled the words, and in the movie, The March River Choir, they're marching through the mud and the gravel and the, and the stuff in the river, and they're, they're whistling the words. And Peggy Lee, matter of fact, Peggy Lee recorded and sold over two, 250 records. And, and she, she just whistled the words. <laughs> the words were dirty. Alright, alright, you just sing. Go ahead and sing. Well, my foot's tapping, my guitar's ringing, dingin', 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 dingin'. You sleep with me, I'll sleep with you. So we will march together. So we will march together. March and we'll sing together. You sleep with me, I'll sleep with you. <laughs> marching, 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 oh, marching to Pretoria. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to uh, Ann Williams, uh, Matt Geo, editor and archaeologist, talking about the book uh, Lost Cities, Ancient Tombs. And uh, before that, we talked with uh, the founder and entrepreneur, Bew White, about his biography, a summer classic, The Bew White Story. And we started out this morning with a fascinating conversation with former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Elbridge Colby talking about his new book, Strategy of Denial, American Defense in an Age of Great Power Conflict, talking about preparing for war with China, of all things. But fascinating conversation. If you missed it, you'll, it'll be up on the, in the archive uh, shortly. Also want to say that I had planned to talk with... Uh, actor Olga Petza today and um, we weren't able to connect but we have subsequently communicated and that will be rescheduled for a week from Monday, Monday the 29th. Anyway, that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room and uh, I hope you have a great weekend. Good night everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.